Father, we do thank you for so many who volunteer their time and give of their talents and their gifts to invest in the children of this church. And we pray your blessings on them and on the ministry that they're doing. Lord, we we come to this point in our service now where we have worshipped you through song and through baptism. We've worshipped you through giving. And Lord, now we, we continue to worship you through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. And God, we ask that you would add your blessing to your word as it is read, as it is taught. That you would convict us, Father, that you would change our hearts and draw us closer to you as your word is proclaimed. Father, we need to hear from you, so we ask that you would speak to us as we seek to humbly listen. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Our focus this morning will be on verses 10 through 12. As we are rounding out the the last of the Beatitudes, this morning we will be reading verses 1 through 12, and then I will circle back and begin again at verse 10 and read 10, 11, and 12. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew or just keep one of those as our gift to you. But regardless of how you're accessing the Word of the Lord, whether it's in print or in a digital format, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Once again, beginning in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We return to these Beatitudes this morning, and there have been many lessons that we have learned. This is how Jesus begins the first uh, portion, the preamble, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount. Who Jesus is, is encapsulated in these Beatitudes. It's a special revelation that Jesus gives of 
his character and his nature. On top of that, it's what we are to emulate, right? As his disciples, we're supposed to be his apprentices, lifelong learners following after Jesus. And so this is a map showing us how to follow Jesus, how to live a Christian life in this world. And so blessed are the persecuted. It's it's a powerful statement, but oftentimes I, I think, especially today, we live in a world in our context, in our culture, where there is so little severe persecution that oftentimes we are mistaken for when we are actually persecuted. Or or maybe we go through much of our lives and don't experience genuine persecution. Look at what Matthew chapter, chapter 5 verse 10 says again. Those who are persecuted, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their faith, right? For righteousness' sake. For the sake of righteousness, they are persecuted. Not for their personal preferences, not for the things that they would rather have, not for the things that make them comfortable or the things that are convenient, but being persecuted for righteousness' sake. You and I have done rightly. We are counted as righteous and someone persecutes us specifically because we did what was righteous and good to do. Now, that definition runs hard against the definition for being offended. You see, I I think what happens to us is as we read this passage and as we interpret this passage, we read it and say, blessed are those who are offended for their personal preferences, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And boy, we are a society, a culture of people who demand justice and we demand it right now. You wronged me and I want justice. You spoke falsely and I need the truth to be out there, right? This is how we behave in the culture in the United States. We want justice. We want what is right, what is fair, what is balanced. We want for the justice system to serve us. And when someone wrongs us, we want that wrong to be righted. But, but I, I can't get past what Jesus says Picking up in verse 11, blessed are you, blessed, favored by God, considered to be in a state of joy and happiness given your relationship with God. A contentment in our souls that can't be touched by this world. A state of being, being blessed, not the things that we own or anything materialistic or physical in any way, but our relationship with Christ, the bedrock, the roots of who we are. Digging down deep, we are blessed when others revile us, when they persecute us, and they utter all kinds of evil against us falsely on Jesus' account. How should we respond? We rejoice and we be glad. How many of us have ever been reviled and somebody spoke evil against you and you rejoiced? Anybody in this category? Because I'm not. I, I can't raise my hand. I've, I've never had somebody revile me and utter evil against me and go, oh boy, what a great day. Somebody just absolutely land blasted me. They cussed me from one side down the other and none of it was true. Let me tell you what, I am walking on cloud nine. That's, that's not how people respond when we're reviled. And the, the funny part is, 
will interpret this reviling, this speaking evil, even if maybe it's true. That, that's the hard part that we have to face. You see, when someone insults us, when someone offends us, you, you know what's really offensive? One of the most offensive things that you can say to someone is the truth. And the reason we often get offended is because we believe it to be true. And someone reviles us and we think, surely that's not true. That's not how other people perceive me, is it? And the reviling is offensive to us because we hope it's not true. Let's go through a few examples, right? So I'm a slow runner, okay? On my best day with fast dogs chasing me, probably not going to make much faster than an 11-minute mile, okay? If a bear's coming after me, I'm going to have to zigzag and I'm probably going to die. You know the joke that if you're in the woods with a buddy and a bear starts chasing you, you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun your buddy. You want me to be that buddy with you in the woods, okay? That's what you're aiming for because you'll survive. The bear will be so busy and take such a long time eating me, you'll get away scot-free. You'll come back, you'll tell Jessica and the kids, sorry, we did everything we could. Nathan just couldn't make it. I'm slow. So if you come up to me and revile me and speak evil against me and say, Nathan, you're a slow runner. Oh, oh man, you, you got me good. I've known that my whole life, okay? I played on the offensive line when I played football. I played defensive end. You don't put the fastest guy on defensive end, okay? I know who I am, and that doesn't bother me. I know that to be true. So saying something that I know to be true and am comfortable with the truth of doesn't hurt or offend me. But if somebody were to come up to you, let's say it's your boss, and you work hard. When I say you work hard, you come in early. You work through lunch sometimes. You stay late. And your boss comes in, and your boss looks at you and says, what you're doing is poor quality work. How do you feel? Are you rejoicing? Are you glad? Because somebody has now reviled you. They've spoken evil against you. Do you consider yourself blessed? Or are you immediately offended and furious? Because I get up every morning and come to this job. I'm here before anybody else gets here. I stay after everybody else is gone. And you mean to tell me, you, Mr. Boss Man, you, Mr. Supervisor, have the gall, have the nerve to walk in here and tell me that I do poor quality work? Who do you think you are? You think, you don't, you think I need this job? You need me at this job. And we storm out, right? Or we just sit there silently and think all that and stew and fume on the inside but never say a word but can we be honest with one another is it possible that we could go into work early that we could stay late after work that we could work through lunch that we could be the most dedicated and loyal and faithful employee that the company has ever seen and yet still produce poor quality work i know we have a lot of teachers in the room you know, there's probably teachers who do so much to decorate their classroom. There are teachers who are there until 5 o'clock every day. They go up there in the summertime, just doing stuff in their room, just working on things, just doing everything they can. But then when they're observed, they're just not good teachers. They work really hard. But when the evaluation time comes, when the observation comes, the classroom is not controlled or well-managed, the lesson is not taught. You may have somebody who works hard but is not producing a quality product. And as a business, you have to deal with that, right? And we consider ourselves persecuted. 
we, we start to think, you know what? I know that's not true. I work so hard, it's not possible for the quality of my work to be poor. So this person is saying this falsely against me. This is what Jesus means. This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. I'm being persecuted. You know what? I bet they're just saying this because I'm a Christian. That's what this is. This has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with me being a Christian. Do you see how quickly and easy it is to rationalize from a supervisor gave you a poor review to I'm being persecuted? And in in the United States, it's like we have a persecution complex or something. We're going to wave that persecution flag at the drop of a hat. Now, Now, don't get me wrong. There is real persecution that does happen in the United States. And sometimes some of us may actually be experiencing persecution. But what I would challenge us this morning to think through is are we actually being persecuted or are we offended? You know, being offended is like having a pebble in your shoe. It's really uncomfortable. You can't can't really, ah, something's not, I got to deal with something. Something's not good in my shoe. Well, eventually you're uncomfortable it hurts a little bit. It might lead to a minor injury. But eventually you just stop, remove your shoe, dump out the rock, put your shoe back on, and go about your life, right? That's what being offended is. But what we like to do is we like to get a pebble in our shoe, and we like to pretend, so-and-so put that pebble in my shoe on purpose. This was intentional. They did this because I'm a Christian. They did this because I go to Bethany. They did this because I follow Jesus. They did this because I pray before I eat. They did this because... And we come up with a litany of reasons. And we decide that that pebble, that discomfort, that inconvenience, that feeling of being offended or harmed or hurt, that that's persecution when that's not what it is. It's a pebble in your shoe. Folks, can we just all agree... Let's just take the pebble out of our shoe and move on with life. Even when it is serious and severe persecution, what's the response? Is the response to wave the flag and say, I'm being persecuted, look at me, somebody help me. No. Verse 12, here's the response. When it's genuine, serious, actual persecution, here's how Jesus tells us to respond. Rejoice. Celebrate and be joyful again. You know, you know, re means again, right? So rejoice. It's one of those weird English things that there's no way to joyce, all right? You know what I mean? Like there's no way to combobulate. We just say discombobulate. There, there's, there's no way to whelm. You could be overwhelmed, but there's no way to just whelm. It's one of those weird English words. We've just amalgamated a few things together. But rejoice is not just saying be joyful. It's saying repeatedly be joyful. Be glad, be happy, and understand that suffering for the sake of Jesus increases our reward in heaven. Reshift our perspective and our focus from the discomfort and the hurt that we're feeling now and look towards the future that we have coming. Folks, there are people all over this world that when they choose to follow Jesus, they are disowned by their family. They are immediately cast out by their friends. All of their social networks, their job, everything about their life, everything that they've known that has made them comfortable, everything that they have lived and done up until that point is flipped on its head. And their life is often sought. And not for just a a criminal trial, but a stoning without a trial. 
You chose to follow Jesus, therefore we will stone you. That happens today in 2023. And Jesus calls those people blessed. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us they will persecute you. They persecuted me and so they will do to you. But fear not, in that hour I will will give you the words, he says. Don't be afraid because he's overcome the world. In this world, we'll have trouble, we'll have trials, we'll have tribulation, we'll have persecution. But he has overcome the world. And folks, there are our brothers and sisters all over this world who rejoice and are glad even though they experience persecution so much more severe than we could ever imagine experiencing right now. And you and I, we want to cry injustice. We want to cry it's not fair. We want to cry somebody save me. I'm being persecuted. When God's told us rejoice. Well, what does he say in Romans? He tells us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That's his promise. Justice belongs to him. You and I are not the ones who should be so fervently demanding that we be treated fair. So-and-so got an extra turn with the toy, and I want my turn. I want to be the same and equal and fair. We sound like a bunch of spoiled brats. And our brothers and sisters are literally starving around the world. And and we want to act like we're persecuted. Our, Our brothers and sisters are being killed in every way imaginable and have been. In in Rome, they would behead Christians, put their heads on a pike and set it on fire and use it for street lamps. They would take Christians and throw them into the gladiators' arena and release lions and bears. And these Christians would be in the midst of this arena naked. And they were eaten alive. This is persecution. But you and I, we want to claim we've been persecuted and be our little spoiled selves over slight offenses. Folks, sometimes we've got to have tougher skin. Sometimes we've got to realize that even if we are being persecuted, we're being persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. That it is worth being persecuted to be persecuted for Him. How many of us take joy in that persecution. Well, let me tell you, we deserve a lot worse. When I think about persecution, and and you think about how these Beatitudes describe how we should follow Jesus, right? But also, they're the perfect little encapsulation of who Jesus is. Jesus was persecuted unfairly. If ever there was somebody that could say, hey, this isn't fair, somebody put a stop to it, it should have been Jesus. But instead, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He did nothing wrong. He owed no debt. You and I owed an insurmountable debt. And he paid it for us. If ever you think, this is so unfair, remember our Savior who could not have been persecuted more unfairly. Trying to show people the kingdom of heaven. And they nailed him to a cruel cross. Made him suffocate for hours. Until finally he gave up his spirit. They beat him until no one could even recognize him. 
They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They blindfolded him and punched him in the face and said, Oh, Mr. Prophet, you're so, you're so in touch with prophecy. Who just hit you? Tell us which one of, of us hit you. They put a fake robe on him. They gave him a, a, a fake scepter. They stripped him of all his clothes and gambled over who would get what article of clothing. He's, he's hung up on that cross humiliated. Stripped of all his clothing. Bleeding and bloody and beaten for you and me. And he, he never had to do any of it. They reviled him. They uttered evil against him. They put a sign to mock him over his head in multiple languages that said, here is the king of the Jews. They said, you could save so many, why not save yourself? Like a lamb before its shears is silent, before it goes into the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. And yet you and I have the audacity to say, that offended me. I'm being persecuted. This isn't fair. And our Lord Jesus just pressed forward. Took every one of those whips from that cat of nine tails for you and for me. All he had to do was call out. All he had to do was think the thought. And it wasn't just that angels could have come and saved him. Remember, This is the author of all that exists. He could have just spoken the words, be undone, and everything gone back to nothing. The Big Bang, you know, they talk about the Big Bang. I'm sure it was a Big Bang when God said, let there be light. But if Jesus, before he goes on that cross, after they punch him the first time, he could have gone, you know what? Not worth it. Be undone. And everything, whoop, bangs back to nothing. To zero. Just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect and content. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He wants you. He wants me. And He told us He'll be with us even when we're persecuted. He told us we would experience that because He experienced that. So this morning, I'm just curious. Would you count yourself blessed? From all these Beatitudes, would you be able to say that you are poor in spirit, that you mourn your sin, that you're meek, have power under control with gentleness, that you genuinely hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you're merciful, even when it's silly to be merciful, even when everyone else thinks it's ridiculous, are you merciful? Would you count yourself as pure in heart? Would you call yourself a peacemaker? Are you persecuted for righteousness' sake? I, I just wonder, as we read through these Beatitudes, and you evaluate your life, as I've had to read through them and evaluate mine, do you think you look like Jesus? In what ways in these Beatitudes do you think maybe you fall short of looking like Jesus? As, as we move into our closing prayer, and then we'll have our time of response, I just I want you to know this is who Jesus was and is and forever will be. And I, I want us to ask ourselves, how do we fit these Beatitudes? Do I rejoice when persecuted, or do I cry foul when I'm offended? Am I merciful? Am I meek? Am I poor in spirit? Am I hungry for righteousness? 
ask yourself these questions. Now, none of us will be perfect, but I, I just wonder, are these the virtues that you and I are striving toward? Maybe you're here this morning, and you had no idea that Jesus was persecuted for you like this. I just want to beg of you, if you've never trusted in Jesus to believe in him this morning, he was pierced for your transgressions. He was pierced for my transgressions. He died for your sins and mine. He loves you. If it was just you, he would have died for just you. This morning, let's seek out the Lord and ask him to move in our hearts. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your word, for the truth that is found in it. God, we ask that you would help us in our weakness, that we might look more and more like you, Jesus. That we might resemble these beatitudes. That we might look more like you, our Savior. That we wouldn't be so caught up in who has offended us and why and who's persecuting who and what, what's going on. But we would rejoice and be glad that even when we're persecuted, even when people revile us and utter all kinds of evil against us on your account. That, Father, we can count ourselves in good company because you were persecuted and suffered for our sake. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's never trusted in how you suffered and how you were victorious over the grave, I pray that you would open their eyes unto salvation and draw them unto yourself. We pray that you would use this time of response and that we as your people would respond in obedience. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond as the Spirit moves among us? the love.